the Sports Show. I'm Maeve, and this week on the show, Erin Andrews has her day in court, the NFL acknowledges the link between football and brain trauma, and the Women's March Madness bracket is here again. Then we hear from Bryn about climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, Africa's highest mountain, and we'll wrap up the show with another fierce lady! But first, some personnel changes. As our loyal listeners know, Bryn has been living in Malawi this year, and while we were able to run the show long distance for a while, it's just not realistic for Bryn to be a bi-weekly fixture anymore. Luckily, we'll hear from her this episode, but moving forward, it will mainly be me. I'm going to keep bringing on guests and also bring back our other segments like This Week in Sports and Fierce Ladies more frequently. But I may also play with the format of the show to experiment with what works best sans Bryn. And if you like or don't like where it's going or if you have other ideas, please don't be a stranger. Let me know. Uh, it's NYBF Sports on Twitter, not your boyfriend's sports show on Facebook. And you can always email me at nybfsports at gmail.com. And don't worry, the central aims of this podcast will remain the same. We're highlighting women's sports and talking about the societal issues that sports introduce. Bryn has a standing invitation to come back to the show whenever she can or wants to, and this podcast obviously would never exist without her, so NYBF Sports is forever in her debt. Okay, on with the show. start with Aaron Andrews. Last week, a jury awarded the Fox Sports reporter $55 million after a stalker videotaped her naked in her hotel room and posted the video online back in 2008. Andrews sued both the man responsible and the Nashville Marriott at Vanderbilt, saying that the hotel was partly responsible since they honored the Peeping Tom's request to be in the room next to her. Something that was kind of shocking to me was that the defense attorneys argued that Andrew's rise in her career since 2008, uh, she's not only become more prominent in the sports world, but she's also a host on Dancing with the Stars. Um, They were saying that this success was evidence that she did not suffer severe and permanent distress. And I just wanted to shake my computer yelling, she succeeded despite all of this bullshit. Uh, The other thing that happened was that coverage of her trial sparked some really interesting discussions around female sports reporters and the lengths that they go to to keep themselves safe while they travel. Both the New York Times and Sports Illustrated, along with, I'm sure, a number of other outlets, interviewed numerous journalists about their tactics and just things that you would never think twice about, like not saying your room number out loud or making sure to never be in the room when it gets cleaned or always leaving the do not disturb sign on your doorknob, not staying in hotels under their real names, things like that. And then a lot of these women also mention what they do if they are made uncomfortable, like they get off the elevator at a different floor, or one woman even mentioned that she sometimes tapes a Band-Aid over the peephole of the door. And I just thought that all of these testimonials really spoke to the extra effort mentally and emotionally that many women in sports reporting put in just to do their jobs. But perhaps on a more uh, validating note, this week the NFL's top health and safety advisor, Jeff Miller, acknowledged during a congressional roundtable that there is a link between football and the neurodegenerative disease CTE after being pressed by Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky. 
So this is a big shift for the NFL, which has previously denied a link between their sport and head trauma. Miller said that he based his assessment on research done by Boston University's Dr. Anne McKee that showed the presence of CTE in 90 out of 94 former NFL players. So this is not only a big turnaround for the NFL, but also shout out to Congresswoman Schakowsky and Dr. McKee. Fierce ladies at it again. Uh, And lastly, for this week in sports, it is the NCAA bracket. March Madness is upon us again. And once more, the Yukon Huskies are ranked number one in the women's bracket. The Huskies have won three NCAA championships in a row. And if they win again, it will be Coach Jean Ariema's 11th title, breaking the record currently held by UCLA men's coach John Wooden for most all time. And all eyes will probably be on Brianna Stewart. She's a senior for UConn. She's already a two-time NCAA champion, and she's just an all-around baller. Just a taste of her dominance. She is the only player in D1 women's history to top 300 assists and 300 block shots, what's called a double-double. Joining UConn as number one seeds are South Carolina, Notre Dame, and Baylor. So fill out those brackets, everybody. And that wraps up this week in sports. So when we come back, we will be hearing from Bryn all about her adventures atop Mount Kilimanjaro. As we all know, Bryn has been living in Malawi on the east coast of Africa since August. And over the holidays, she climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And now we're probably going to have to retire microsports as a segment because I don't see how either of us are ever going to top this. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> let's get to it and um, hear all about it. So a little bit of background for the listeners. Um, and I don't know how much of this you might have known going into it, Bryn, but I did some Googling. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> So Mount Kilimanjaro is the highest mountain in Africa. It's located in Tanzania. And a fun fact that I found out from the Tanzania National Park website is that there's no consensus on what Kilimanjaro means. So it might mean mountain of light, mountain of greatness, or mountain of caravans, or it might not. Hmm. <laughs> the local people. I'm and- going to go with mountain of greatness. I okay. feel like that's the most powerful one. <laughs> well, the local people, apparently, um, they're called the Wachaga. They don't even have a name for the whole mountain. They only have a name for the peak of the mountain, known as Kibo. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that was pretty interesting, that this huge mountain and the local people are like, eh, can't be bothered. <laughs> um, they're just like, we just call that backyard. <laughs> Um, But anyway, the mountain rises to over 19,000 feet, and it's unique as a major mountain because you don't need special equipment to climb it. You can essentially walk up it, although that does not mean it's easy. So without further ado, Bryn, let's start at the beginning. Tell us how or when you decided to climb Kilimanjaro. Okay. Um, So I was in Tanzania in 2010, and... I had a friend who climbed it, and I 
just wasn't prepared. It's really expensive to climb because you have to go with like a tour company and you have to get all of your gear to prepare. So I wasn't prepared to do it in 2010, but I knew if I was ever back in East Africa for a significant period of time, I was going to save all my pennies and do it. (laughs) Um, So calling it a walk is a little bit disingenuous. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's, I have some questions about the tour guide because you said that I think that you have to use a tour guide, right? You do. Yeah. So how did you find one and like how expensive was it or like what was the process of that? So I have a friend who did it the year before um, at the same time we did, which is over New Year's. Um, So from December 28th to January 3rd. Um, and he really recommended his tour company, which he found it's like a social enterprise that's based in Hawaii, I guess. Um, (laughs) so, and then apparently their whole shtick is that they pay their porters well and there's, they just try to do things more ethically than other companies, um, because it is a like massive tourist attraction. So you can, you definitely get what you pay for in terms of guides. Um, so some you can tell are just like bare bones and they probably don't pay their staff well. And then others are like all the bells and whistles and make it more of a luxury thing. So good to hear that there are you know, ethical guide companies and that you actually found one and used one. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely see how guides and porters could be exploited because porters carry so much up the mountain. It's like all your tents, most of your gear, all your food for the seven days. Um, So, I mean, we saw kids that looked like they had to be like 15, even though they say that porters should be 18 or above. But there's no way that that was the case for everyone we saw up there. So yeah, it's kind of one of those iffy situations where you just try to find someone who's doing it right and you hope that they actually are. So who was your tour guide? We went with a group called Samba Treks and um, we went with our guide was Charles Samba. So <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, and... He, yeah, they were just super friendly, really knew what they were doing. Um, we had our main tour guide was, our main um, mountain guide was named Danny, but we called him the silent warrior because he was just like this strong, silent type that would like <laughs> lead us up the mountain and tell us where we should go pee. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, so how, so it took you, you just said seven days. Is that how long it took you to scale the mountain? Well, so we originally signed up for a seven-day trek, um, but then on day three, we reached our camp before lunch, and we were kind of like, why are we just going to sit around for the rest of the day? Like, we know some people do it in six, so this seems like a little silly. So we talked to our guide, and we ended up going on to a second camp that day. So we ended up only doing a a six-day trek, which is five days to the summit and then one day to come down. It takes five days to go up and only one day to go down? (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) So you, it's like four days of hiking. And then on the fourth day, you get in around five or six. And they give you dinner. And then you have to sleep for like four hours. And you wake up at, we woke up at 11 p.m. 
And we started hiking at 11.40 p.m. So this was 11.40 on New Year's Eve. And so we're like 20 minutes up the mountain and it turns midnight and like the whole camp below us like exploded into cheers. Oh my and God. It was so cool. <laughs> and then, yeah. <laughs> so then the summit hike is was from 11.40 p.m. until 6 a.m. And you just like, I'm not really sure. There are different reasons that everyone hikes in the middle of the night. But I think part of it is that like, we got to the summit right at sunrise. Yeah. Like the sun was just coming over the horizon. It was unbelievably beautiful. Um, and also it was like, I mean, it was freezing. But uh-huh. I think that people just get like really, really sunburned and really like warm if they do it in the daytime. So oh. pretty much everyone summits at night. That's so And then you have to descend back to base camp, which is like four hours to get down it's not easy and then they let you sleep for like an hour and then they make you go down to another camp four hours away that's like lower altitude so your body can like relax so let's talk about the altitude thing because this is a really big issue on this mountain like not everybody actually makes it to the top because the altitude changes can be so significant so how how did you and your group handle it were you guys okay We were okay. We had varying degrees of altitude sickness. Um, We were all taking, there's this drug you can take that like kind of makes your fingers and toes tingle, but (laughs) it's it's supposed to help with the altitude. Uh So we had two, I was in a group of four and two of the girls had like really bad headaches the last day. And one girl like lives in the mountains and she was completely fine the whole time. And then I was doing okay, but like an hour before we got the su- to the summit, like I hit a wall and I like thought I was going to pass out. I thought uh. I was going to throw up. And like I had to just follow my guide's footsteps like one by one and like oh slog God. through. And then as soon as we got to the summit, like adrenaline kicked in and I was completely fine. But like Definitely, we had like migraines, stomach issues. Like it was, it was pretty intense. Wow. And definitely, not everyone makes it. It's they call it like the great equalizer because even if you're in the best shape of your life and like young and spry, like altitude can hit anyone and just like knock you out. Yeah. Wow. Well. Okay. So other than maybe the obvious high and the obvious low of like reaching the summit and then altitude sickness, <laughs> what was like the thing that was the best and what was the thing that was the worst about climbing the mountain? I mean, the best was that it was like six days of the most gorgeous hiking. And with the exception of summit night, like it wasn't too strenuous that you didn't appreciate where you were. Like we walked through so many different climate zones and saw so many different things as so beautiful all along the way um so that's just like it was great I don't know where else you get that kind of just stunning hiking in all different kinds of uh climates how many climates were there what were the different climates I think it says like there are maybe five climate zones Mm -hmm. so it's it starts in like rainforest and then you go into uh, I'm going to forget, but basically it's like rainforest and then sort of like a meadowlands and then it gets into like really rocky parts. And then at the very top, there are like all these glaciers. 
So you kind of go from like green to brown to dusty to rocky and then snow all of a sudden at the top. Um, so then what was the, what was the downside other than the altitude sickness? What's one thing that, you know, you could have done without? Um, it was really cold. (laughs) Um, so, I mean, it was fine for the first few days. And then the second to last day we like had our guides fill our water bottles with boiling water before we went to bed and like put them in our sleeping bags by our feet to keep them warm. Um, and then... On summit night, like I'm, my hands and feet were numb for most of it. Like <laughs> it was just so cold. No amount of layers would prepare you. Oh. So that was a little unpleasant. And and like you're hiking at night. It's it's pitch black. It's freezing. You're going through snow. It was really cold. But you know, probably so motivates you to keep moving though. Yeah, exactly. The guides, like, won't let you stop. They, like, want you to walk really slow so your body, like, doesn't freak out from the altitude. But they make sure you keep moving because if you stop, you're just going to, like, get cold and want to turn around. Yeah. Oh, I can't imagine. It would be so heartbreaking to turn around at that point. I know. And we saw so many people, like, being carried down, basically. Like, they looked like they were about to pass out, and their guides were just like, nope, gotta go down. Oh, boy. And it was, uh, I would have, I would be so upset. Yeah. Well, the other thing I'm curious about is, you know, I'd imagine that doing something that's kind of this extreme and requires a lot of endurance, but probably a lot of, like, teamwork, too, who were the people that you went with and like why did you think that they'd be good people to climb the mountain with? <laughs> they ended up being like the most perfect group I could ever have hoped for. Um, it was three other girls who are in the same fellowship that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of put out a query when we got here being like, I'm definitely doing Kilimanjaro. Like, if anyone else wants to do it, here's the details. Like, let's start getting organized. And it just kind of shook out to be four of us. Um, And one of them is my roommate. The other lives nearby. And then um, the fourth girl lives in Uganda. So we hadn't seen her for, like, six months before (laughs) um, the trek. We were all exactly the same hiking speed we all had like good attitudes we played trail games all the way there Um, (laughs) sounds like so (laughs) yeah it's one of those things like you have friends that you love but you wouldn't want to live with like Mm -hmm. there are definitely people I would not want to climb Kilimanjaro with (laughs) but the four (laughs) that I went with were the three that I went with were completely perfect Well, such a good test of friendship. Like, would I climb Mount Kilimanjaro with you? (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Oh, man. Um, Okay, well, before we wrap up, anything else that, you know, you want to tell all of our listeners about Mount Kilimanjaro or your experience or? Um, If you have the chance, do it. It was amazing. (laughs) Well, um, Bryn, Thank you for telling us all about it. And as the listeners know, um, this is going to be the last they'll hear from you for a little while. But Mm. Not Your Boyfriend's (laughs) Sports Show would not be without you. So I'm so glad that we started this podcast and you are always welcome back. And um, 
Yeah. I'll pop I, in from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. Please do. I just, I love you and I love sports and I love talking about sports with you. <laughs> it's sports. It's ladies. It's lady sports. <laughs> love it. All right. Okay. Good game, Brittany. Good game, Maeve. <laughs> Bye. lady may be familiar to our newsletter subscribers and if you aren't already a newsletter subscriber please go subscribe at nybfsports.com you won't regret it Um, but anyway our subscribers may be familiar with this week's fierce lady her name and I tried really hard to find a pronunciation of this on the internet but I really came up short so here goes and I apologize in advance her name is Asholpen Nergaev Perhaps she is a teenage girl living in Mongolia who is smashing 2000 year old traditions by becoming the first female eagle hunter. Her family are nomadic Kazakh herders and they hunt foxes and other small animals on horseback with the help of their eagles. And she is the focus of a new documentary called The Eagle Huntress that debuted at Sundance earlier this year. It follows her story as she raises and trains her first eagle. Her father is also an eagle hunter, and she became his apprentice early on, which was a very unusual move for a young girl. So I like the story not only because of its central fierce lady, obviously, but also because her whole family supports her, and most directly her father. So clearly bucking trends and tradition is a family affair for this Mongolian family. Um, There are also lots of fascinating themes in this movie. Full disclosure, I haven't seen it yet because it hasn't been picked up by a distributor and released nationwide, but reviews note its reverence and respect for the environment, the effects of climate change, and the special relationship between man and animal, or perhaps I should say woman and animal. So yeah, the next time you're feeling down, just, you know, remember that somewhere in the mountains of Mongolia, uh, as Hopin is smashing the patriarchy with her eagle, and you can do it too. <laughs> uh, okay, so that does it for this week. Thanks for tuning in and listening. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at NYBF Sports. We're on Facebook at Not Your Boyfriend's Sports Show, and you can always shoot us an email uh, at nybfsports at gmail.com. So um, I suppose I'll start saying good game to the listeners. So (laughs) good game, listeners, and I'll check in with you next time.